Good morning, everybody. This morning, we are going to be looking at the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. So if you have your iPhone or iPod Bible app and you want to follow along or pull out the Bible, um, we're going to go through uh, a quick video here to start us off. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Thank you. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, good morning. My name is Freddie Monowich. I am the associate pastor now of Thornhill Baptist Church, and uh, I have the privilege of sharing this morning's message. Um, a little bit of a sore throat, so I'll be drinking a lot of water this morning. But yeah, today is our... Communion Sunday, and we're going to celebrate at the end of today's message together as a church family the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, the bread and the juice this morning. And this entire message is going to prepare our hearts as we focus towards communion at the end because it's all about Jesus, this scripture this morning. And the first, the first thing I want to say is the most important question that you will ever need to answer in this life is, who is Jesus Christ? And that is our title of this morning's sermon, and I think it's quite appropriate because the first day of Advent, the candle has just been lit. And I want to thank our men's ministry for sharing with us the candle of hope. If anybody would like to get connected to our men's group, they meet here on Tuesday nights, usually at 7 um, come see me after the service, and I can connect you with some of the guys. So here we are, December 1st, and we sang our first Christmas hymn this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that's my favorite hymn. But i got to be honest with you guys, I was singing that carol a long time before I knew who that newborn king ever was. I did not connect the baby in the manger with the God of the universe. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? 
Because once again, the most important question you will ever answer in this life is who is Jesus Christ? And at Christmas time, God comes to us and he breaks into this sin-filled world and he does it in the most unusual way. God comes to us as a babe in a manger. Isn't that amazing? Let me just pray now, just to settle my nerves. And I feel like the mic is echoing a little bit. Is it echoing for you guys? We're okay? Is it echoing a little bit? Maybe what I'll do is just move it. This is a rookie mistake, rookie mistake. Maybe if I set it right here. How's that? A lot better? Okay. So for those of you that don't know me very well, I received my... Oh, oh sorry about that. <laughs> Father God, I do pray this morning for your spirit to calm my nerves and to open our hearts to hear your message this morning. God, I know that we can do our best to come here Sunday morning to be prepared uh, to worship you. But until we actually engage with the Holy Spirit, everything is just motions. So we ask that your spirit breathe life into this service and into the message. Okay, thank you. For those of you that don't know, I received my uh, bachelor's degree in religious education at Alberta Bible College, not too far from here, uh, just down the road in Cambrian Heights. And there's a few former ABC students that actually come to Thornhill Baptist Church uh, Kevin and Dana, who are not here this morning, but Dana is our former secretary. And our current secretary, Shauna, has also attended Alberta Bible College. Now, in my first year at ABC, I met a guy who was not there to pursue an education, but he was there for more personal, more selfish reasons. And now this guy has long since moved on from professing Jesus Christ as Lord and King, but now he is a minister in what is known as the Unitarian Universalist Church. And here he deliberately devalues or de-emphasizes the importance of knowing exactly who Jesus Christ is. And he does this from week to week at his pulpit, just like we do in our church. And now not only does he soften or play down the importance of knowing Christ, but he makes light of Jesus just to lessen his importance. That somehow making fun of the Christian God will somehow prevent lost people from being saved. And the reason that he teaches this way is because he believes that there are many paths to God. And that God encompasses a lot of different forms. And who's to say that this is the only way or that's the only way? He feels that Christianity is exclusive and arrogant. Because we claim to have it figured out. The problem is sin. And then we claim to have the Savior, Jesus. Now, the Unitarian Universalist Church prides itself on being inclusive. And its members believe pretty much everything, really. There's humanism, agnosticism, theism, atheism, neo-paganism, earth spiritualism, pretty much anything that you can come up with is in their church. And you can have more than one belief inside their church. And in a pluralistic society that we live in, this is a very appealing way 
to have a spiritual life. Here's a recent example of that. Have you ever seen the Academy Award-winning film or read the book, The Life of Pi? It is an interesting story because in the story, there's a young man who grows up as a Hindu, and he converts to Christianity. And not only does he continue to practice Hinduism and Christianity, but he runs into a Muslim who introduces him to the Islamic faith, and he becomes a Muslim. And this guy actually practices his whole life all three of these religions without a conflicting internal struggle. I don't know how he does it, but he did. And at one point in the film, he even thanks Lord Vishnu for introducing him to Jesus Christ. And now, one of the quotes in the film that really stuck out to me was when Pi says that faith is a house with many rooms. And, and then later on, his brother even jokes with him and says, you know what, Pi, you need to convert to maybe two or three more religions, and then you'll never have to work again. You'll be on a holiday every day. And it's kind of funny, but the point is, because our society is increasingly more relative, there's a strong pushback against anybody who claims to have the truth. Our way is the only way, and life is found in only one person. So my former Bible college classmate, we still talk and communicate on Facebook with each other. We challenge each other. And he said to me, Freddie, you know what? The sad fact is that the name of Jesus Christ has become a stumbling block for many because he is exclusive. He claims that he is the only way. And in my church, the Unitarian Church, you can walk in on any given Sunday and see people from a variety of different backgrounds. And a worship service over there would have teachings from the Dalai Lama and a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of Zen, intermingled with a few verses from the Bible and the Quran, maybe a little bit of recorded music by Celine Dion or Michael Buble, all to get everybody involved. And my former classmate is saying, Freddie, we're enabling people to discover God for themselves, maybe through Jesus, maybe through Vishnu or Krishna or Buddha or Mohammed, whoever and, and whatever and wherever. The bottom line is he believes salvation comes through a number of different ways. And he says, Freddie, if somebody, this is the part that upset me in our conversation. He says, Freddie, when somebody wants to add Jesus to their teachings um, or the teachings of Jesus to their worship, he says, I discourage it. Because I've been to Bible college, and I know all the holes and the issues with Christianity. And I've spent hours debating with this guy, and I've even stopped a little bit because he's just trying to make a joke of my Savior. And now most of us who wholeheartedly follow Jesus, we get upset when people belittle our Lord or make a mockery out of Christianity. And, and we should. But before we come down too hard on my old classmate or others, I do want to address quickly a very dangerous, important issue in the church. A deadly sickness spreading like a zombie virus in the Christian church today. Now, in Colossae, the church of Colossae, they were at risk of adding Jesus to their life, just like adding a gym club membership. It'll be good for your health. You'll be, you'll be getting into shape. No big deal. Just pray. Ask Jesus into your life. Boom. Peace. You're done. And I think to most Christians, it seems pretty harmless or they don't even notice it. But there is a disease in Christianity. This virus starts with one infection and in no time, 
it can spread through an entire community. I have a question. Does anybody here watch the number one rated television show for males ages 18 to 35 called The Walking Dead? Come on, are there any Walker fans out there? Okay, I see five or six hands up there. Thank you. Well, for the rest of us who don't know nothing about The Walking Dead, here's what you do need to know. A zombie virus spreads super fast and covers a lot of ground in a short period of time. And when you're infected with the virus, you're still able to move and exist, but basically, you're dead on the inside. And I fear that there are many who profess to be Christians, but are really dead on the inside. And this sickness that is infecting the Christian church is what I'm going to call the virus of easy believism. And there have been times that I've been guilty of spreading this myself. And it's not overly complicated. Here's how it works. Easy believism is not counting the cost of committing your life to Jesus Christ. It's those who think by saying a simple prayer to ask Jesus into my heart so I don't go to hell, and really they're coming to Christianity with this attitude of, what can Jesus do for me? Because you see, friends, the truth is, following Jesus is a tough road. It demands your life changes. And instead of calling lost people to say a little prayer to become a Christian... When we call them to faith, we must call them to repentance, to turn from their old ways, and to submission to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Because there's so many Christians who are sharing the gospel in a way that tells people that Jesus just wants them to have a happy, worry-free life with good health and a great job and a great marriage. Basically, becoming a Christian means entering into a stress-free life. Well, why wouldn't you want an addition like that into your life? Now, don't get me wrong. In some cases, Jesus can and will, and he does do some of those things. He certainly does change our lives and marriages, maybe even our jobs, and does decrease our stress levels. But this happens when we bow before his preeminence. So we must move away from an easy believism attitude of what can Jesus do for me to the essential question is, am I living in light of his lordship? And we call others to a life under his lordship as well because we certainly don't want to mislead people to thinking salvation happens by saying a magical prayer. It's not the way it happens. Yes, prayer is part of the salvation story. But God is at work in a non-believer's life way before he or she does that 180-degree turn and repents and wholeheartedly starts following Jesus. Now, one last problem about easy believism is Jesus is reduced to just another part of your life instead of becoming your entire life. We don't simply add Jesus to our lives. We honor Him. We follow Him. We worship Him. We adore Him with our entire lives. How? Through our obedience to His Lordship. Today is actually the seventh or eighth sermon in a series that we've been doing for the last several months at uh, Thornhill Baptist Church. We've been going through the book of Colossians. And if you are interested in hearing some of the background that built up to today's message, go to thornhillbaptistchurch.com and you can go on the sermons tab, click there, and you'll find all our past sermons. Now, that brings us to the Colossian church. 
the heresy, the false teaching that was creeping into that church was that Jesus was just another addition into our lives. He was important, but by no means was he the essential part of the Colossians' lives. And a lot of that false teaching taking place there had to do with new Christians with Greek philosophy backgrounds. Because with the early stages of what is known as Gnosticism appearing on the scene at that point in history, they risked minimizing Jesus in their new faith. But so did the new Christians that had a strong Jewish background because they too focused a lot on keeping the rules and the regulations and the festivals for their salvation, which also reduced the importance of Jesus' work on the cross in their lives. So you see, many people thought he was important, but he wasn't essential. They had given him a place in their lives, but they hadn't given him first place in their lives. Jesus was prominent to them, but not preeminent. And some things never change. Many people today still struggle with the same false teaching. They add Christ into their lives, but they miss the fact that he is to have supremacy over their lives. Now, we want to know who Jesus is so that he can reign supreme in each of our lives. If you hear a Christmas carol on the radio singing about this newborn king, this baby in a manger on a silent night, come, let us adore him. But if you have no clue who him actually is, then you got to figure that out. So the Apostle Paul here, he's going to battle three misconceptions in the Colossians church from, that are coming from Greek philosophy. And I did preach a little bit on this topic of Gnosticism, but it was on the Sunday that most of our church was at Camp Caroline for the weekend. So I'm going to recap a, a few of those Gnostic beliefs. This is what the Greek philosophy background looked like. The false teachers taught that God did not create the world because in their view, matter was evil and God cannot create evil. Number two, believing that matter was evil, they argued that God would not have come to earth as a human in bodily form, which leads us to number three. They did not believe that Christ was the unique son of God, but rather one of many intermediaries, uh, mediators, intercessors, go-betweens between God and people. So what the Apostle Paul is doing here then is unpacking who Jesus is to counter the false teachings of Greek philosophy and Gnosticism and Jewish legalism. So when we study this section of scripture, we're looking at the pinnacle of Christianity. In Jesus, God's complete and perfect revelation is fully revealed. Now, most commentaries, academics, uh, would consider this scripture Chapter 1 in Colossians, verse 15 to 23, as a Christological hymn, a song about Jesus. And the passage actually splits itself into two sections, with the last part of verse 18 providing the overriding theme. And it is that so in everything, Jesus might have supremacy. And the first section is called the supremacy of Jesus over creation. And the second section is called the supremacy of Jesus over his new creation. He is chief. He is top. He is the overriding power over everything that he has created, and he is also preeminent over all that he has redeemed. Another way to say this is that Jesus has first place over both the cosmos 
and the church. He is Lord of everything, and he has made, and he made he his Lord, sorry, tongue twister. He is Lord over everyone he has saved. Now, this passage is one of the most powerful in all of Scripture when it comes to talking about the superiority of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Now, we see four truths about Jesus in this verse, and right away, number one, he is God. The Apostle Paul is not concerned about being politically correct or worried about offending anybody. He's about to battle the false teaching here with truth. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You want to know God? Look to Jesus. And now, images convey meaning way beyond words can describe, right? Remember the saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. Ah, there it is. One of my favorite photos from our wedding. Look, look at Pastor Ken laughing in the background there. He wasn't ready for the dip. Good time. Super memories. But my wedding ring represents something. It represents the fact that Debbie finally got to have her knight in shining armor ride into her life and ask for her hand in marriage. She said yes, nine years ago almost, this May. So my wedding ring is a symbol of my commitment, my love to Debbie, and it represents that I gave my word to love her, provide for her, and protect her. And also, we see a picture of Evan Stacy um, a couple summers ago on the youth camping trip to Sylvan Lake. We, uh, we had a baptism out there. And there's no power in the Sylvan Lake waters, trust me. But it was awesome how Evan took another step of faith on his journey with the Lord. And even though the act of baptism is not for saving your soul... The picture of baptism, the symbol of baptism, goes deep. When a person makes a public statement by being baptized, they're saying to the world, I follow Jesus. I died with him. My old life is gone. I'm coming out of this water just like Jesus rose from the grave into a brand new life. Now, as powerful as these symbols are, the ring, baptism, they're simply representations of far deeper realities. My ring doesn't make me married. Rather, it's a symbol that I am married. And the act of baptism doesn't in and of itself do anything for your salvation, but it stands as a representation of a person who has identified themselves with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And now here's the part we need to be clear on. Listen carefully. Jesus is not just a symbol of God. He is God himself. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. John 14.9 says, Anyone who has seen me, Jesus, has seen the Father. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, He is the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Someone has said that Jesus is God with skin on. That's a pretty good word picture. Okay, so the first truth then 
is he is God. Now, the second truth is he is the unique son of God. He is the unique son of God. He's not only God, but he's firstborn over all creation. Now, we got to take a moment here to ask the question, what does it mean to be firstborn over all creation? Because there are a number of organizations that use this scripture verse for the basis, the foundation for their entire faith system. Some of these groups are Christian scientists or the Church of Scientology or Jehovah Witness. Jehovah Witness read this verse and they believe that Jesus was a created being. But that is misleading because it takes the word firstborn out of context here. You see, the phrase firstborn is often translated heir to the throne or owner. And in ancient time, it means you had the number one ranking um, or it was understood as the supreme one. In the Old Testament, Jacob was not born first, but he was the heir to the throne. He was the supreme one. Psalm 89, 27, we read that God appointed King David his firstborn, but David was the youngest of eight brothers. The verse even concluded by saying that David will be most exalted of all the kings of the earth. So do you see then how the term firstborn is used here in today's scripture? It's, it's therefore used as a title of honor and position and not meaning chronological order. Jehovah Witness have it wrong. So number three, Jesus, he is the creator of all things. Jesus is the image of God and the exalted one over all creation because he is creator. And in case anyone misunderstands that firstborn word, uh, Paul explains that all things were created in, through, and for Christ. For by him all things were created, things in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. See, Jesus was not a mere man. He is the creator of all things, those things that we can see and those things that we cannot see. The context of Colossians 1 here declares that Jesus is the sovereign creator, not one who was himself created. And remember, the false teachers taught that the physical world was evil, so they thought that God himself could not have created it. They reasoned that if Jesus Christ were God, he would only be in charge of the spiritual world. But Paul explained, again, that all the thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers on heaven and earth, they're all under the authority of Jesus Christ because he created them. Now, he's not only creator, he provides the purpose for his creation. All things were created by him and for him. You see, the goal of all of creation is to glorify Christ. Revelation 4.11 says this in the New Living Translation, For you created everything, and it is for your pleasure that they exist and were created. And the fourth truth in this section, he holds all things together. And on Wednesday nights, we have discipleship class downstairs for all of our students, grade 6 to grade 12, and even some young adults, college and career. And for that older student's Bible study, we're looking at creation and science and the universe. And it is absolutely amazing how precise everything is in creation, especially in the cosmos. And we learned that last week. And, and it's important to keep that in mind that Jesus holds everything together because we're reading that here this morning. 
He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Now, in John 8, 58, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus existed before everything else. And yet, he is also the one who holds it all together, which means to prevent something from falling into complete chaos. Christ is before all things, both in time and rank. He's not only the creator of the world, he's the glue that keeps it all together. By him, everything came into existence, and by him, everything continues to be. Now, Hebrews reminds us that he holds everything together by his powerful word. And if he were to remove his sustaining power, everything would dissolve in order. We don't have to worry when things happen outside of our control because Jesus is in control. He's keeping everything from falling apart. He upholds everything by the power of his word. Now, we move from Jesus' being supreme over creation to Jesus being supreme over his new creation. The focus shifts from the old creation to the new spiritual creation. The creating God is a reconciling God. We see that he is the head of the church in verses 18 to 19. And the word head here means that Jesus is the authority, the source of the church. And we can relate to that. We understand that. The head gives the body the ability to produce growth. And without it, the body would die. So we've already mentioned uh, the zombie show Walking Dead earlier in the message. And I can tell you that if you destroy the head of the body, that zombie dies. You see, it's the same here because if you remove Jesus, who is the head, the body, the church, will die. And many of our churches seem to forget this. But you can rest assured that at Thornhill Baptist Church, our leaders, our elders, our ministry council, they are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I've been to a handful of meetings in the last month, and I've been reminded at every one of these meetings that Jesus loves his church. He loves Thornhill. He cares for us. He'll lead us as we are surrendered and obedient to him. If Jesus Christ is not supreme in a church, then there is no church. That was part of the trouble here at Colossae. They lost connection to Christ. And as a result, they were experimenting with all sorts of false doctrine and sinful behavior. You see, friends, Jesus is the head of Thornhill Baptist Church. Not Pastor Ken, not Christy, not myself, not Gary, not the elders, not the deacons, not the ministry council, but Jesus Christ is supreme over this church, and we bow before his authority. So Jesus is the beginning, which means he is the source, and that word actually has two meanings, to rule and to begin. And in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church. The church is the creation of Christ, and as such, we follow his lead. He was the firstborn among the dead, so that's a sign <clears throat> uh, from the supreme run, one. His resurrection is the guarantee that we, too, will rise again one day. And in verse 19, I love this verse, it gives God the Father great joy and pleasure to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Father God was happy for the Son to have preeminence over creation and over the church. Now, don't miss these three significant truths about Jesus in this verse. The fullness of God dwells in him. 
Not around him, not upon him, not under him, but it was in him. Number two, the word dwell means to take up residence. And it points to the incarnation. That's what Christmas is all about. It's the incarnation. It's God coming to earth as a baby in a manger who will grow up and live a perfect life and fulfill the law and die as a sacrifice for payment for all of our sins. Christmas' incarnation is summed up pretty good here in the book that we're studying. If you want to jump ahead to chapter 2, verse 9, at the rate I've been preaching this series so far, we should be there by next fall. I'm kidding. But in chapter 2, verse 9, it says, In Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Wow. Number three, all his fullness. This word is used purposefully because it's a technical term that the Gnostics used all the time. And it meant the sum total of all divine power and attributes. So Paul is using this phrase, he uses it eight times in Colossians, to show the believers that Jesus is the fullness of God, nobody else. And the fact that it pleased the Father to have all his fullness dwell in Christ is proof that Jesus Christ is God. And now we come to the gospel message, the end of our scripture today. Paul describes the work of Jesus reconciling lost people to himself. And as people are coming to saving faith and they're reconciled to God through Jesus' blood and his body, they become members of his church, which he is the head. And verse 20 begins with a general statement about reconciliation because once again, Paul is battling the false teaching with words. Paul, and we'll close with this, Paul establishes four gospel points about reconciliation of Christ in this verse. Number one, the focus is to reconcile to God. The focus is always to reconcile to God. The initiative and action must come from Him. Number two, the scope of all things. Reconciliation involves the whole universe. God's going to make all things new. Number three, the result is peace. So through Jesus, our hostility with God can end. And number four, the means is through his blood shed on the cross. Salvation is only through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross as payment for our sins. And the bottom line is our sin separated us from a holy and righteous God. And Paul's intention here is not to dwell on what they were, on what they were apart from Christ, not at this point, but that God took initiative in verse 22 and extended grace by saying, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Notice that it was Christ's physical body that reconciled us. Again, that's on purpose because he's battling with these words. The false teachers in Colossae, they denied that Jesus had a real human body. But the New Testament makes it very clear. Jesus is both God and man. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you are healed. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
He is both sacrifice and justifier so that our sins can be forgiven and we can be declared righteous before a holy judge. You are holy in His sight. You are set apart, declared holy by God Himself. You are without blemish. And that word without blemish was the word applied to temple sacrifices which had to be free from any faults or blotches or anything. So when God looks at you, He doesn't see any blemishes. He sees a new creation. You are free from accusation. This legal term literally means not to be called in. There's no charge of condemnation on you anymore. The sentence of eternal death for your sins can be, cannot be brought against believers in the court of divine justice anymore. Romans 8. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ who died more than that. He was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. So Paul's emphasis on our holy standing before God was a direct attack against those false teachers. They promised a kind of perfection with the secret knowledge that they had. But Paul is saying, you already have a perfect standing in Christ. You are holy in His sight. No blemishes, free from accusations. So why should we look anywhere else except to Jesus Christ? The most important question you will need to answer in this life is, who is Jesus Christ? He is the way, the truth, and the life. At this point, I'm going to invite up those who will help serve the bread and the juice for communion. Uh, Some deacons will come forward, and we're going to celebrate communion. And as they're heading forward, um, I'm going to put on the screen behind me here nine characteristics that come from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. So now, as we're preparing for communion... The bread representing the body of Christ, broken on the cross. The juice representing the blood of Christ that was spilled at the cross for your sins and for mine. And what we're going to do, we're going to hand out the bread and the wine together. And then in a few moments, we will look at the scripture again on the screen. And then we will take the bread and the wine together in a few moments. So... First, I would like to ask my brother Gary if you would mind praying for the bread. Let's pray together. Our gracious and glorious Father who art in heaven, we thank you for your Son that you created for us. Mm-hmm. We thank you, Father, that he did not give up halfway to the finished work but he went to full distance. And by his broken body, we are healed. Mm -hmm. And so, Father, as we reflect upon that this morning, we ask that you would explode in our lives a vision of the cross. Let us look up and see the face of our Savior as he looks down upon us in those blessed words Forgive them. And so may we rejoice in our forgiveness this morning, Father, by the brokenness of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Gary. And Brother Bill, would you like to pray for the Jews, please? 
Our gracious Father, we are reminded as we take this juice of the blood that you shed Mm -hmm. for the forgiveness of our sins. And we are so thankful for that. Lord, we are reminded that as we someday stand before you, that it is that forgiveness, that blood that was at sacrifice that can reconcile us to you. Thank you again for that sacrifice, the shedding of the blood, the giving of your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bill.